Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg ad-free and right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. This is the Ion Travel Podcast with CBS News Travel Editor Peter Greenberg. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Ion Travel Podcast. This week, we travel to Prague to sit down with some travel thought leaders to talk about over-tourism, sustainability, and global impact. Starting with Marino Giannopoulos from Enterprise Greece on over-tourism in a country where a staggering 30% of its GDP is driven by travel and tourism. Then, Ufri Ibrahim, the CEO of the Energy and Environment Alliance, on the true definition of greenwashing and travel and economics guru Daniel Thornley with a global travel update on the crazy numbers of travel. First up, Marino Giannopoulos. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Marinos Giannopoulos, welcome. 
Thank you. Thanks. It's an honor and pleasure to have you here, Peter. Thanks for inviting me and uh, thanks for the lovely talk we're going to have. Well, here's my question, because your job mandate really is to promote That's right. uh, investment, to promote visitation, to grow the economy. And with so much of the Greece economy uh, and that GDP on travel and tourism, I mean, I remember, and this happens every year, I will go to the Grand Britannia Hotel, which for those people who don't know it, you don't have to stay there. Just go up to the bar if you want the best view in yeah, town. That's right. Um, and you sit there at the bar and you look out over the Acropolis. And if you bring binoculars, you can actually, it looks like ants. It's thousands of people climbing up every day. And of course, this past summer, in incredible heat. You even had to stop it at one point. It was so yeah. hot. Uh, so the, I remember your former tourism minister, Elena, telling me, the solution to over-tourism is we're just going to ask people to come in October. That doesn't quite work out, does it? No, it doesn't. Uh, first of all, you're quite right. Let me just by saying that uh, Enterprise Greece is the official uh, government agency the, under the auspice of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Our job essentially is twofold to promote exports and attract investments in Greece. And of course, tourism and real estate, that's what we're here for, is, uh, plays a huge role in, of uh, in our part. And uh, of course, as you said, the GDP, it's something like 30% of the GDP of the country that relies Which on is the huge. tourism. It's huge. Because it's huge. the international average is only about 11. So you're and way above that. It is huge. It is huge. And uh, that's why we focus a lot on tourism. And of course, as you said, uh, because many people, especially Americans, grow up with learning about Greece and uh, having uh, learned the history from a young age at school. It's kind of, it's an amazing to be able to come over and, you know, experience that. And that's what we're trying to achieve, to, for people to actually be able to go through all the ancient uh, kind of Athens and then experience the new Athens that we're trying to promote as well. But it's not just Athens, it's everything outside of Athens too. True, true. Uh, it's uh, basically we have over 2,000 islands that you can visit. The coastline is uh, endless. And uh, of course, along with the mild climate and the Mediterranean diet that we <laughs> have in Greece, as I'm sure you've experienced, uh, I think it's an amazing uh, combination. But that's not just what we have to offer. We try to uh, offer a product, as you said, like seasonality is over. We're trying to expand the season by different means. We're trying to uh, promote other means of tourism like wellness and uh, going skiing. You know, you can have skiing in Greece, even though it's for some people it seems uh, weird. It, but we have well, snow. Well, you know, what? we yeah. did a one-hour special on Turkey, and we spent some time at a ski resort. Like nobody knew. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Uh, but that being said, I think as as you mentioned, Athens uh, has been uh, booming. Uh, I think we had uh, the last four years over than sixty new hotels that appeared in Athens. Uh, and I think that adds to the effect that you said, like the ants crawling up uh, the hills of Philobabu uh, and uh, Acropolis. Uh, so much that actually they have announced that they're going to have a cap of 20,000 visitors uh, per day. That's, That's it. That's the cap. That's the cap. <laughs> That's the cap. 20,000 alone sounds pretty <laughs> astounding. It is, but I think it's it's an experience, you know, once you're there, if it's not too hot, because you can get too hot, it's, it's something, you know, that it's it's amazing to be there. It's sort of a double-edged sword. You want development on one hand, yeah. and you have to manage your numbers on the other. And, you know, I'm one of those people, I, I believe, even though seasonality, everybody tells me it's going, I believe in the off-season. I don't mind going to Athens in November. I don't mind going in February. In fact, that's when I, gotta go, that's when I wanna go to Venice. I don't wanna go in June, July, or August. So if people can be smart in terms of their plans, you have to ask yourself, am I going to Paris to get a suntan? No, I'll go in November, right? Am I going, why am I going to, to Greece? 
where you want to you want to immerse yourself in the culture, you want to learn about the history, you can do that even if it's raining. I mean, for me, that's the reason why you're going. Definitely, and you're quite right. This is uh, something that we're along with uh, the city of Athens. We're trying to promote as well. It's a it's a, a an all year round destination. You've got. A conference destination. We have lots of conference conference happening in Greece. Lots of new development uh, along with parks, and of course we have one of the biggest, uh, if not the biggest, redevelopment in Europe right now, Elinikon, which is an eight billion redevelopment project. Just to give you the numbers, it's going to add an, another forty percent of green area in Athens. It's huge. It's the old airport where it used to be, where they moved to and, the new airport, and you, and you need that. And we definitely need that, and it's something that's going to add uh, to. The to the city's, you know, not the skyline, but to with new hotels, new parks, new recreation areas. So let's talk about those other 2,000 islands. You know, you land in Athens. What I like to do is I land in Athens. I try to bookend it, right? Land in Athens, spend three days, and then get out and, and visit someplace you've never been. One of my favorite islands is, is an island that hasn't been getting a lot of traction. Um, it's Milos. Um, and in fact... Uh, it was. It's a fishing village. It was. It was, and in fact, the, 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 they used to they used to fish with the old kerosene lamps and and catch the fish that way. It's a beautiful place to go. And and uh, by the same token, and with all due respect, Santorini, you're elbow to elbow. You 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 can't move. So there's an opportunity here to look at at the other islands. Definitely, and it's uh, it's something that we have taken notice as well, and that's why this kind of uh, planning on development of different islands. Of course, under any Mykonos are top list how they're starting to produce, develop, and see kind of the future because all the development happened once, so all people flocked together. It, it definitely did. It, it definitely did. Uh, but there's so many, as you mentioned, there's so many other islands that are amazing to, to visit and uh, and see. Milos is one of them with amazing, spectacular beaches that uh, you can view. And I think the best part of everything is you can get a boat into island hopping. I think that's one well, of the Well, you have a very best. good ferry system. Yes. I mean, let's, let's talk about that because you can do great day trips or even one and a half day trips. It's not expensive to take the ferry. Uh, it's kind of a fun way to do it. You don't always have to fly. Exactly. No, you're quite right. Uh, just to, to start to begin with, you're half an hour from the center of Athens to an amazing beach in Athens where you can be swimming. But then again, you can take the ferry and visit the really, uh, like, close proximity to Athens Islands, which is half an hour, an hour away, either Aspetes and Salamina and Aegina. But then again, within say, two say hours... Say those islands again, which it's one? It's uh, Salamina, Aegina, Indra and Spetses, which I definitely urge you to, to visit next time you're there. Uh, Idra, for example, is, a, is an island with no cars. You just go and it's like a beautiful, spectacular old That's town. That's my kind and of island. And, uh, but then again, within two hours, you are... Uh, close to Milos, Mykonos, all the other islands that in the Cycladic system of islands. Uh, but I think the way we, because we're investing in infrastructure as well, so we're trying to expand ports, to expand kind of the experience for the tourists as well. So you get the ferry, it's not kind of what other uh, listeners may remember like 20 years ago that you go there's like people with the signs and everything stay here but now it's a more organized system with you know, transport and everything. So I think it makes the experience much better uh, than uh, what it used to be. And I'd just like to mention this point, the island of Astipalea, which is the first island, I don't know if you know about right, that. Say that uh, the name Astipalea. Again? It's uh, the first uh, green island, let's say. Where basically, everything is run on solar power and, and renewable energy. There's no petrol. All the cars are electric. Even the buses, you just click a button and the bus will come and pick you up and take you around the island. It's something, it's, uh, it's in cooperation with Volkswagen, And it's the first of its kind. It's, it's definitely something that's worth a visit. 
Wow, a, a, a totally green island. Totally green island. Now, of course, then there, there's the issue of, of cruise ships. Yeah. Uh, we're looking now at the cruise industry being much more responsible in terms of their scheduling. I mean, I can think of nothing less attractive than to go to the island of St. Martin or St. Thomas and have seven cruise ships there at the same time. There are not even enough bathrooms there. I mean, it, it's, it's crazy. So they're, they're now working. Some, some people are, some people aren't, but a lot of destinations are now saying, we're going to limit the number of cruise ships that can be in our port on any one day so that people can truly experience it in a great way. It's just a matter of rescheduling the ships. You're quite right. And that's, that's what it should be. Like you have a proper schedule of who comes and who, who goes. Uh, but it starts with having the infrastructure in place. I think the port of Piraeus has like a lot of uh, money has gone into expanding the port. Obviously, uh, you've got Costco on the other side as a huge logistics hub. So you're trying to separate the two and have everything in place. But I think having Athens with Thessaloniki as well, which now is seeing more than 60 cruise ships that go to Thessaloniki, something that someone should experience as well. Uh, we're trying to limit, as you said, the number of people while maximizing uh, their um, potential of enjoying Greece and actually seeing other places as well. I always like to say if I'm going to fly somewhere, uh, I always ask, what days are the cruise ships not here? That's where I want to be. That's where I want to go walking. And you know what? It's, it's very easy to find out that information. And if you're going to be on a cruise ship, you should ask before you ever book the cruise, when you get to this port, how many other ships are going to be there? Maybe I don't want to take that particular itinerary simply because I want to be able to enjoy the experience as a passenger as well. Definitely, of course. Uh, and I think apart from just cruise ship, I think it's worth for anyone going to the Ministry of Tourism website and seeing the, because they're actually doing lots of information of like uh, winery visits or following spring around. For example, if you want to come at different, because as we, as we said before, it's a mild climate. So if you come in spring, you still got the sun, but then you got all the flower, nice flower booming. So you can actually follow spring around. There's like an actual route. Uh, so I think in combination with that, it's information you can find really easily. My thanks to Marino. So, okay, which hotels and chains are acting responsibly when it comes to real sustainability? And how do you as a traveler know? And then, what can you do about it? Ufi Ibrahim not only tracks hotel behavior, but holds these folks accountable. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Get up to 30% off well-crafted and personalized gifts from participating shops until May 12th. This year, embrace your creative side. You know, the side your mom gave you? And shop Etsy for custom jewelry, style pieces, home decor, and extra special items she'll adore. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Please welcome Ufi Ibrahim. Ufi, let's get down to a definition of terms. I've talked about this on the show before. We've had other guests speaking about it. Uh, but I think we need to really get down to a real definition now 
Uh, you know, I go back to the days where you'd go to a hotel and there'd be a little sign at your bed saying, hey, help us save the environment by not washing your towel tonight. Right. I always used to laugh because the, the sign was in plastic. I thought they sort of missed the point. But that sort of started that word coming out called greenwashing. That's right, yes. And the, I mean, the term greenwashing was actually coined in a hotel bathroom in 1986 by an environmentalist called Jay Vestavell. By the way, a lot of things get coined in hotel bathrooms, <laughs> but that's another story. Go Probably, ahead. <laughs> if not in hotel bedrooms. Yes. But um, the term and the way that Jay Vestavell actually defined it is what today um, equals the official definition of greenwashing, which is if you are unable to substantiate your environmental claims with robust evidence, then in effect you are greenwashing. And so taking that definition and doing the work that you're doing, how do you bring everybody into the tent and explain to them a definition that they can actually live with and live by? Well, interestingly, uh, and thankfully, regulators are actually helping us to do that, to get everybody into one room to, fi to figure out not what needs to be done, but how it needs to be done. That's the important part. Um, so there's a lot of things that many are already doing, but the question is, how are they going about it? It's about bringing quality into the system. Now, of course, you know, I get inundated with press releases all the time saying, guess what? We're no longer using single-use plastics. We got rid of the straws. That's all good. All good. But not enough. Not enough. Absolutely not enough at all. We're talking about transforming every aspect, every decision made in business. So give me an example, because at the end of the day, let's face it, it is a business. They have to make a profit. Uh, if they're worried about the cost of, of performing or doing the right thing, sometimes they just don't. Yep. Well, take energy use, for example. You know, there's been a lot of emphasis recently on carbon because of climate change. And this is the area where regulators are really putting the emphasis. So at the moment, you know, we are, and in terms of commercial buildings, hotels are the commercial building type that uses more energy than any other type of commercial building. And we use more water than any other type of commercial well, building. because it's 24-7. And we create more waste than any other type of commercial building. Now, one thing is to say, okay, let's educate the guests. Let's ask them to use less electricity or gas. Let's ask them to use less water. But they don't. But actually, something interesting happened, Peter. During COVID, when hotels were under lockdown, we found that something like 60% of the total energy use in a hotel has nothing to do with the guests. Aha. Uh -huh. So, yes, it's good to ask the guests, but if you really want to do something substantial about addressing the amount of carbon that you are producing as a building, then it, it's not enough to simply ask your guests to change their behavior when they're on site. You actually have to look at the building and you have to look at how you are operating that building. And that's the reality. So when you look at the data, it becomes clear as to where the responsibility truly lies. But that really uh, really speaks to the need for a complete redesign of hotels in, in, in a certain way. And which would be wonderful. If we could redesign and rebuild, it would be great. Um, but the reality is that when we get to 2050, 80% of the buildings that we'll have then are already here. And retrofitting and refurbishing existing buildings is difficult and it's expensive, especially if you consider that hotels, many hotels are very old buildings. Some are monuments. So actually transitioning them to be net zero, that is challenging. They're protected historic buildings. Protected listed buildings. So it becomes very complex and you have to work with a lot of partners to make that possible. So let's go back to that 60% figure you gave me. 
that's being done with or without guests. Correct, yeah. What's the worst offending aspect of it? Building management systems, you know, they are the single system within a within a building. Sometimes they have big flashing lights. People don't understand how to use them. The engineer that installed them has moved on. And it's just down there guzzling up huge amounts of energy. People go online and make hotel reservations. There's not a box they can tick when they when they make a reservation saying, are you doing the right thing? There's no box that they can read that says, oh, by the way, 50% of our energy has been fixed already. I mean, so what do you need to ask? It gets down to having a conversation and you're not going to have that online anyway. So I'm a big fan, as you may know, of having a conversation, of getting on the phone and talking to somebody before you book an airline ticket, a hotel room, a cruise. So what questions do you need to ask without being adversarial? but just to learn before you make that decision to book something. Well, it's interesting because when you look at data um, of, you know, surveys done by Expedia, Booking.com, you know, all of those sorts of Google and others, all of their customer base, 80%, 90%, you know, 70 plus percent say that they want to stay in a sustainable hotel and that going forward, they really want to make sure any travel decision is based on the sustainable footprint of that, that decision. But you know what? That's like the hotel guest filling out a questionnaire saying, I'll only stay at a hotel if they have a swimming pool or I'll only stay a hotel they have a health club and only eight percent of the guests use it so which is it? well but in, and there's something called the say do gap at the moment so while consumers are actually saying that they want this they are not making transactional decisions on this basis so if you look at the number of guests who are actually potential guests using the sustainability filter on these big booking engines they're very very small they're less than 10 percent of transactions today now the question is from some investors and, and people who actually run hotels well do guests really care? And I believe that, yes, guests do really care because they're telling us they care. But the question is, how can they tell if they, you they need the are, tools. if you are really doing this or if you're greenwashing? Right, so, okay. And that's what we have to address as an industry. We have to make sure that we can evidence and substantiate that in a robust way so that consumers can have confidence. I remember going to a Fairmont hotel in Arizona and they were telling me, and, they, and, and you have to applaud this, they figured out a way not to throw cooking oil down the drain. They figured out a way to reuse the cooking oil as biofuel. And, you know, and we're talking about the French fries, right? And, we're, and like once a week, a truck will come and they will load it up with all that oil and it, it has another use and it's not going into the systems where it doesn't, it just does harm. And I said, have you told your guests? Oh, they don't want to know that. Actually, I think they do. You know, you ask kids where food comes from, they tell you the store. I got a problem with that. I really believe, and I think you do too, that if you can understand and appreciate the process, that's when you value the product. So as you come up with all the things that are needed, or that, that you know, that are that basically fit a definition of responsible stewardship of your resources and, and ESG, how do you communicate that to the guests? That's the key. Absolutely. Storytelling is something that we're going to have to reinvent. We're going to have to reinvent and design the design of the buildings. We're going to have to reinvent the controls, the processes, the way we do things, the way we measure things, and the way we communicate things. So when you check into a hotel room, Ufi, what do you look for? I look for evidence that that hotel is actually doing what it says it's doing on the tin. For example? So, for example, um, you know, I, I, I mean, I tend to look and see what type of what type of accreditations the building has, what type of, uh, you know, certifications it may have. But even those I have to take with a pinch of salt because, you know, even very well-known certification programs actually are mainly checkbox exercises. And that's just not good enough. 
So it, it is a bit of a detective work. And I have to say, you know, customers cannot be expected to do that detective work, which is why I think it's absolutely right that businesses do this for themselves and that legislators are actually going to push businesses to do it in the right way. See, when I check into a room, and this goes back to pre-pandemic days, I used to get angry when I saw all these tent cards and paper and, and promotional items and stuff. The first thing I did was I put it in the desk drawer. I didn't want to see it. But what a waste of resources, right? Uh, we, we've talked about single-use plastics and plastic straws. I was then made aware of the volume of that, yeah. in, which was pretty staggering. But then again, you got to also figure out what's the stuff that's back of the house that you don't see. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely right. And, you know, it's, it, it reminds me of uh, the case of uh, electric cars, electric vehicles. You know, there's a lot of people that feel very virtuous when they drive an electric vehicle. And it's great because, you know, it's, it's having a good impact ultimately in the long term on addressing climate change. But it's not acceptable if the core materials that have been used to create those electric car batteries have actually been mined by children in the Democratic Republic of Congo. That's not acceptable. So it's just not enough to look at the what's on the surface. You have to actually, I mean, it's, it's up to the businesses, I think, to be truly responsible and to put real stewardship to ensure that they look at the value chain employees We're talking really now about, okay, what's going to happen with scope three? Because one thing is to say, okay, this is what I'm doing under this roof. But then what about everything that you are impacting? All the decisions that you're making, your purchasing decisions, who you're doing business with, all of that needs to be addressed. And all questions that if you want to be a responsible traveler, it's okay to ask. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. In fact, I would urge every traveler, every traveler to um, question, quiz the hotelier that they're going to you know, stay with pick up the phone, call them and say, tell me about your sustainability policy. And if the receptionist can't do it, then that, that's, that's already a very poor mark that that hotel should have. My thanks to Ufi. Revenge travel, outrageous prices, full planes. Can it continue? And if so, for how long? Dr. Daniel Thornley has more than a few fact-based predictions. Dr. Daniel Thornley, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. So every time I listen to you, um, there's a little bit of doom and gloom, but then again, there's some, some light at the end of the tunnel. Um, we're looking at a situation where travel has come raging back, that much we know. We know that hotel rates are at near historic highs. <clears throat> Airline fares at near historic highs. Uh, this summer, Americans invaded Europe. Um, there were hardly hotel rooms you could find, and if you did, they started at about $1,200 a night. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. Uh, I guess the first question I have to ask you is, given the nature of the disruptive aspects of the world, which have not left us at all, in fact, they've gotten worse in some cases, uh, is this sustainable? We are certainly seeing the, the boom that you talk about, Peter, in uh, hospitality, airlines, and so forth. Um, I think one to answer the question directly, and you would know about it as well, is what are the Chinese tourists going to do? Because they've been quiet for a while because they had to be, mm. right? That wave has not come back yet. Exactly. Uh, will it come back in its entirety? Will it come back in dribs and drabs? Uh, I don't know. I think it's at the moment dribs and drabs. The Chinese economy, of course, is not booming as it used to. But to your point, if and when the Chinese uh, decide to come back en masse, then given what we've already got, 
that would raise questions about sustainability and capacity and so forth, both in hotels and in uh, transportation. And then price might be another defining factor is, you know, price them out of the market if you can. I can't see the operators doing that. They would put more planes in the air. Hotel capacity would increase one way or the other. And the last quick point, which we talked about today at the event, is um, I think premium and premium and luxury uh, hospitality are doing well, uh, as they are in many other product sectors. And the economy aspects are doing well. Yes. In, oh, I'll come back to that if we yeah. have, I think so too. But on the hospitality, you've got premium, super premium, luxury doing well. But at the other end of the scale, discount, cheap, promo, own label. But in hospitality, because as you said, it's so good, I think the mid-range and mid-brand, which usually struggles, is doing well. See, that's a surprise to me. I'll tell you why. Because if you can define your brand, you can justify your rates. So I know what a luxury brand is. They've done a pretty good job of defining what they are, what they're doing, what they offer. I have a pretty good idea what the economy brands are doing, right? What they're offering, what I value, right? It's the mid-level brands that have always been the confusing aspect of it. Um, and I'll ask you this rhetorical question. And I'm not singling out any one particular brand, but I'll just use it as an example. I mean, if somebody says to me, you're staying at a uh, St. Regis or a Ritz-Carlton or a Mandarin uh, just for st- or Four Seasons, I respond differently to that. Obviously, I'm happier about that. I'm I'm looking forward to it. I have different expectations. If somebody says I'm staying at a Hamptons Inn, I'm going, oh, great, I get breakfast. You know, it's, and and I understand what what that uh, offering is. But when somebody says to me I'm staying at a Sheridan or a Hilton or just a regular Marriott, there's no real emotional connection for me other than maybe their frequent stay program, which is another issue. But what's going to get me to go into the middle when I have two choices that are so well-defined on either end? One answer is I don't know, but the second answer (laughs) is availability. So if the premium and luxury are booked up, and if you fancy not overindulging, but semi-indulging, because I think you're right, and that's the problem with the mid-range, mid-price, vacuum cleaners, chocolate, anything, you name it. But if you uh, can't get uh, the sub-premium availability-wise, or the cost is really, as you're implying, you know, uh, zooming upwards, and then you don't want to really go too to economy, then I think you will look around for that mid-range, mid-price. And I think price... But it's will, not your first choice. No, it's not your... I think you people spend hours, as you know, better than me. Uh, some friends of mine were talking about, you know, doing their own... Uh, travel agency to save time but they spend hours looking at the best rates and best options um i think price would be the defining issue on that uh, price and availability well price is always you know people have told me for years that if an airline raises its fares five dollars people will choose another airline i mean it, it's that sensitive in terms of moving the needle mm-hmm. i don't know if it's the same anymore because of availability That's right, and because yeah. the airlines have basically priced themselves similarly it's about the the clearest cut case of an antitrust case i can think mm-hmm. i mean i don't see airlines differing in fares at all at a at, at, at the legacy level and hotels are about the same as, well, as what the market will bear in a city so if you're if your most expensive hotel room is $500 a night in, in a city, you'll see the luxury hotels at $500 a night. Mm-hmm. They, they move to that point, right? Uh, the airlines don't really differentiate either. Uh, so 
it's if, if the prices are all the same at, at the different uh, entry points, then you have to make choices based on something else. I don't know what it's like in the US, but in Europe on airlines, you know, if, and I live in Vienna at the center, um, the availability and choice is limited. You know, you Lufthansa have a monopoly, semi-monopoly here on a lot of flights. Well, people uh, that Lufthansa owns Lufthansa. They've got Austrian. They've got, I think they've got Swiss. Mm-hmm. So I mean, they got it all. Yeah. And they do the travel transfers to their satisfaction. Uh, you used to be able to fly direct to Dubai from Vienna with Austrian Airlines. Now you have to go via Germany for the satisfaction of Lufthansa, not the customer. But there's not much you can do about airlines, I think, whereas with hotels, you know, you're, you literally your feet can define where you go to some extent. Um, you know, there's more availability of hotels than there are airlines. But that's a quibble. Well, you, pu- you bring up a very interesting point. Your choices of airlines have been exponentially reduced, and your choices of routes have been exponentially reduced. Your choices of fares have been exponentially reduced. So that has to affect even if you can get to the hotel you want to go to in, in a certain destination. Mm-hmm. Indeed. And that's going to be a continuing problem in terms of hotels that are being built, being developed, because you can't just develop a hotel if you don't have the airlift. Um, is if you're dealing with different countries. I'm not talking about hotels where there's a, there's a big drive-to market, but I'm talking about if people can't get there or they can't get there affordably, it doesn't matter how you price the hotel, they're not going to come. Indeed. So how do you work with, within that system? How do you work with hotels and airlines to say, guys, can you just figure out there is a cause and effect here? There are financial consequences from one seg- sector of the industry drastically affecting the other. Mm-hmm. Was that a question? Uh, yes, it was. <laughs> right. Um, I tend to think that the companies are driven, as you, you might agree, by profit and loss. Um, I, I tend to think that customer satisfaction or customer convenience comes after the, uh, the cost availability to the companies. And I think the grind and wear and tear on publicly quoted corporations and share price is so vicious that that's, that's the defining feature. That's just my own quirky opinion. But you're affected by it just like I am, mm-hmm. right? So the question then becomes, here we are at a hospitality investment co- conference, you know, and I'm an investor, I need to know what my landscape is. Not just the physical landscape of where I'm placing the hotel, but how people are going to get there mm-hmm. and afford it. Mm-hmm. By the way, just a, a quick story, which I don't think you know. Vienna to Prague is one of the slowest train journeys in the world. Admittedly, it's not in a straight line. It goes in a historical loop. But it takes just over four hours to do 250 kilometers. There used to be two airlines flying from Vienna to Prague. A short hop, you went up, you cruised for five minutes, and then you came down. There used to be Czech Airlines and Austrian Airlines. Czech Airlines went off that route, and I think even out of business. So you had the monopoly of Austrian and Lufthansa. That route, to my knowledge, became the most expensive airline route in the world. And On a per-mile basis, probably. Yeah, per kilometer basis exactly sorry and um, it would be well you know 250 300 kilometers for economy tickets which went from originally they'd been a couple of hundred euros went to 500 600 700 euros for a you know a 40 minute flight or 35 minutes so it just shows monopoly 
control, pricing. And before that, I used to take the train because I love trains and I don't like planes. Don't like planes. And now I always travel on the, the slow puff, puff going chug, chug, chug to, to Prague. And I'll be doing that later today going home. <laughs> well, at a reasonable fare, I presume. Very reasonable. You know, this is the value proposition I ask everybody. As we see things change so radically, if I need to go from point A to point B and the airfare on one airline is $600, and for that you'll get some mileage, which you can't redeem, and the airfare on a low-fare carrier is $200, for which you don't care about the mileage, why would you pick the other airline unless you were addicted to the mileage program? And I think we've reached the tipping point. Uh, this also gets into airlift to get to hotels. I think we've reached the tipping point where people are saying, you know what, I don't think the mileage programs are worth it anymore because I can't redeem my miles, and when <clears> I do, they've devalued them so much it doesn't matter. I think if you're addicted to mileage programs, you're leading a sad life. <laughs> well, you're talking to somebody who was leading a sad life until I woke up. Good for you. No, but do you, you agree with that, right? I mean, uh, Yes, I, I do indeed. Yeah, my miles are stacking up and I can't figure out how to use them and when to use them. And as you say, the programs change to the benefit of the companies and they, they come out with these little emails telling you about how they're going to enhance, enhance consumer satisfaction, etc. And uh, wiser heads should know that's a load of baloney. <laughs> for which you get no miles. But the point is, that's changing the dynamic of the choices people are making, assuming they can have the choices for airlift. How are the hotels adapting to this? Because you're seeing rampant hotel development again, going back to the days pre-pandemic. Uh, you're seeing it in, in, in some of the same markets that were developing before. Uh, you know, you mentioned the China market earlier in our conversation. One of the biggest areas of development has been China, not because I'm going to fly there and stay at that hotel. It's the Chinese who are going to fly or drive in the regional markets too. Mm -hmm. I think the hotel industry is, as, as we said before, yeah, the roller coaster, and this time we're on the upward curve, which could last a long time in several parts of the world. I think geopolitics will play a part in it. I'm not sure about the US tourist numbers to China and so forth, but certainly some of the shine of the economy, business, visiting, culture, scholarly work with China, is, uh, some of the shine has come off. And uh, companies and everybody else are looking for alternatives. That could be uh, the CIS markets, India, uh, other parts of Southeast Asia, uh, the Gulf, GCC, Dubai is booming and wants to become the new Switzerland of the, of the, the new developed world. And of course, uh, another part which is uh, very appealing is Central Europe. Well speaking, well, speaking of Central Europe, to what extent is the war in Ukraine having an impact on that? Well, counterintuitively, uh, as I say, maybe 18 months ago, you would have thought that this would have been catastrophic for the region, having a war 130 kilometers away from your borders. Uh, it's not had that. It's uh, created an esprit de corps across the region, corporately, uh, societally, uh, culturally. And it's been very strong and powerful. Whether that proves sustainable over another two, three, four, five years, because that's how long the war will be, um, is questionable. Uh, I think certainly in Central Europe, there is greater strength of purpose than Western Europe. I think the Balts, the Poles, the Czechs, to some extent the Slovaks. So they've been able to say to uh, Western Europe, and especially the Germans and French, we told you so. They were aware of where Putin was going and what Russia was going to do. War has changed uh, everything. And uh, I think also what's remarkable is that Central Europe uh, economically, corporately, 
has done well. So, by the way, since 2013 to 2023, so it's been a decade, uh, the European Union improved and got stronger in 2013, CE followed, EU funds have been pouring in, maybe less so now with the politics of uh, Poland, Hungary, and we've got some wobbling coming up in the elections in Slovakia. But uh, overall, the business satisfaction of Western companies doing business in Central Europe is extremely high. Um, and by the way, as I mentioned today at the event, um, price increases, which we've just talked about, uh, price increases globally uh, for all products have been rising. But the good news for the consumer and for the producer is that prices are definitely coming down across the world. That's indisputable. They will continue to come down. They might be a bit sticky still this year, start of next year, but better times are ahead on prices and then maybe a lead-in on interest rates. My thanks to Daniel, to Marino, and to Ufi. And my thanks to you for listening to this Ion Travel podcast. For more conversations with the world's leaders in travel, as well as answers to your travel questions, be sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for all the breaking travel news, you can always log on to petergreenberg.com. The Ion Travel Podcast is produced by Amanda Morris and Anthony Protis Chung. For more content from Peter Greenberg and the Ion Travel team, visit petergreenberg.com. Ion Travel is a production of CBS News Radio. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Get one of the most successful broadcasts in television history on your schedule with the 60 Minutes Podcast. Hard-hitting investigative reports, news, and culture maker interviews, and in-depth profiles are waiting for you in every episode. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.